Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Each of us have a unique set of talents, whether it's music or in drawing or in math or in computer programming or whatever it might be. So we have some talents and capacities that life has gifted us. And when we can take those gifts and apply them in the service of, of life and the service of others, uh, we actualize our potential and we use that to make a contribution, to make an impact. And that's when we feel, you know, that we're sort of, I'll use a cliche word, living our destiny. We're living what we're meant to do. Now, sometimes, that's not visible to us up front. But as you pointed out, when you look in hindsight, you could see the trajectory and, and some part of you was drawn to to do these interviews, these people, and you you didn't even know what was guiding you. It's like the future was calling you uh, in order to be born through you. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Yossi, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted. And Looking forward to what creative uh, encounter we might have here, unmistakably, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you have a new book out called Spiritually Intelligent Leadership, all of which we will get into. Uh, and I know part of the answer to this question from having read the book, but I wanted to start by asking you, where are you born and raised? And what impact did that end up having on what you've ended up doing with both your life and your career? Okay, thank you, thank you. So I was born and raised in Israel, um, and like all Israeli men, I was drafted into the military, even though I have kind of pacifist leanings, and um, I was thrown into the military. Luckily, it was a peaceful time in, the, uh, in that region of the world, uh, which was hard to believe, but it did happen while I was serving. And uh, um, surprisingly, as I saw myself as a shy, introverted kid, I found myself um, assuming leadership positions and having the fastest promotion record in the history of my regiment and winning a number of awards. 
So even though I excelled at the military, uh, I really didn't like the whole notion of command and control and, and the way the military functioned, which is necessary in battle. You don't have time to build consensus and, you know, ask for lots of opinions. You, you just have to uh, move fast. And that's a, an efficient, effective way to um, be in battle. But it's really not good for the human spirit and soul. And uh, so I resolved to someday uh, try my hand at uh, <clears throat> leading people and organizations based on different set of values that are more humane and that uh, inspire and facilitate the growth of each individual. So that kind of became one of my lifelong aspirations, which brought me to the U.S. and going to school and so on continue with my life story but that's kind of where it started yeah well that that is actually the reason i started with that question so you know i I probably had maybe one or two other guests here who served in the israeli military and i wonder it was somebody who's got passively passive leanings I, i imagine you're not alone in that sentiment um but yet it's required talk to me about you know why that is because i think the idea that military service being as mandatory, like the idea of something like that in the United States, I think people would find really kind of crazy, but it's the norm in your culture. Well, it was the norm in Israel, yeah, because it's a small country and surrounded by uh, many countries and uh, people who wish to uh, destroy it and eliminate it. So uh, it wouldn't have survived. and. yeah, I mean, this is a long thing, and it's very uh, uh, timely right now, the whole what's going on in the war in Gaza and uh, Zionism and Judaism and anti-Semitism. <laughs> We're talking about a big, big issue and opening up a huge can of worms, but uh, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, the basic reality is that uh, Israel is under constant threat. and. Uh, you know, it wouldn't exist yeah, if it not for uh, a strong military that can defend it. And as a result, all eligible men, 18 uh, to 21, are, are drafted. And, you know, in other parts of the world, even in the U.S., there, there was a period of time when there was a draft. And, uh, of course, most Americans don't like it. And it didn't make sense when... The U.S. was going to fight wars in Vietnam or whatever. People were like, hey, why am I drafted to that? But, you know, during Second World War or other times when the U.S. was under severe threat uh, and the volunteer army wasn't enough, you know, who knows what people will feel um, is justified. Well, I think particularly now to your point, you know, we're getting much more exposed to the that region of the world in a way that we never have been. But I always wonder, in terms of media in particular, when it comes to situations like this, is, you know, the perception that media shapes, you know, with the American public and the narrative it creates versus the reality of the situation for somebody who has been there. Um, and obviously, you mentioned that you were there during peacetime. Like, what do we not see about all of this? Oh, my God. <laughs> what do we not see? Um, 
There's so much. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, the media is inherently biased and, you know, there are different sides. And um, I think it's hard to see the, you know, the history, which is very complex. And, uh, you know, uh, the suffering that's happening on both sides. And I um, I think we don't see and... Um, the way in which uh, the situation is, is really painful on all sides. And I think the media most often tends to, you know, be pro one side or another, demonize one side or another. And uh, I think the situation is a little more complex, more nuanced. Certainly there are actors and agents there that, you know, you might consider evil and, and uh, have no no desire for peace but i i think most people in the region uh, most humans you know want want to find a way to peace and there's suffering on all sides but um yeah but you have radical groups that are uh, you know creating a lot of problems yeah so one thing that i wonder about you know you went to MIT, you worked in technology startups, and I, I've noticed this trend today. I, you know, I had, uh, you're leaving the co-founder of Waze here as a guest too. And I remember this very distinctly when I was in college thinking, what is it with the Israelis and chat software? But it seems like Israel is a hotbed of technological innovation. And I wonder, one, why that is, and also what role does your own military experience play in all of that? Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, <laughs> Israel's a nation is hugely innovative. I think the number of international patents filed by Israel uh, surpasses the number of patents filed by the entire Western Europe, uh, EU set of countries. So for a country with, you know, eight, nine million people compared to hundreds of millions of people in Europe, um, <laughs> Israel creates more innovation. So, you know, it's a good question. Why, why is that? And, uh, you know, you can, lots of explanation. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not an anthropologist, but, you know, you, you can speculate. It does make sense that Israelis and Jews have been persecuted throughout history and they've had to, you know, uh, find ways to survive and thrive and, and do well. And they valued education and, it goes back to, you know, this notion of studying the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament in Hebrew and the Talmudic interpretations and uh, disagreement and arguments, as they say, for the sake of truth, for the sake of heaven. So built into the culture is this um, intellectual pursuit and a deeper understanding of of truth and reality, and originally it was around, you know, scripture, but I think that that continues and is embedded into the, the culture and the norms. And so as a result, uh, lots of Israelis are um, innovative. And they, as they say, you know, you, you take two Jews and you have three opinions, and we've seen that. <laughs> You've seen that in Israel, the disagreements and the fights and politics in the months preceding the war, where there was a lot of division between some of the policies the government was trying to institute and so on. So, 
it's a it's a very irreverent culture that likes to challenge and debate and argue, and that leads to um, innovation and creativity, as it does in 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 teams in the tech world when there are constructive tensions in a team, as opposed to everybody lining up and you know. Uh, uh, and there's more creativity, more diversity of opinion. And out of that, lots of new creative ideas emerge. And I think that's very much built into the culture and fabric of Israeli society and psyche. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. 
So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. I, you know, I think it was recently I was reading uh, a book called The Coming Wave, which was uh, written by the founder of, of DeepMind. And he had talked about how militaries are actually engines of innovation and a good amount of innovation that we experience in our lives actually starts with military and, you know, usage intent. I mean, the internet is, is a perfect example. And I think most of us don't think about that. But explain to me how a guy like you goes from the military to studying at MIT to writing a book called Spiritually Intelligent Leadership. Talk me to the trajectory that leads you to this perspective. That's okay. Yeah. So uh, as I said, the military kind of awakened in me this desire to lead and organize people and teams around uh, more humane values that facilitate and support the growth of each individual in a, in a team context with a sense of belonging. So my path for forgetting that, the way I dreamed of, was that I was interested in science and math and physics, and I excelled in those subjects throughout high school. So I thought, okay, well, how am I going to someday lead a group of people with a common uh, mission and vision and and support their growth. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I mean, it was the start of Silicon Valley in those days. Companies like Fairchild and Intel and so on were, were getting going. And I thought, okay, someday I'll be an engineer. I'll develop some some new patent or some idea, and that will be my my way to be to start a company and build an organization. So hence I came to MIT to study engineering. And I actually quickly decided discovered that um while well, I was reasonably good at it and I was, you know, had a great, you know, plus straight A average and all of that, uh I did not enjoy sitting in front of a computer and, and programming and designing circuits or what have you all day. I more enjoyed the interaction with people and, and so on. So I decided that my path to leadership would be actually combining business and technology. And hence, I went and got an MBA at Harvard uh, to kind of give me a sense of uh, experience and perspective on the business side. And then from there, I joined a technology startup in Silicon Valley. It was a company called Rational Software, and I headed up their product marketing and saw it from product innovation without customers or revenue to being a a profitable company. I left it. I became a venture capitalist. And the idea was that to see if I can use that environment to find an idea, being exposed to lots of trends and ideas. And out of that was born the idea for my first company, which was called Individual Inc. And individuals, the name stood for two things. One is uh, for customizing and personalizing news. So Individual was the first company before the internet that created personalized interactive newspapers. And you would get your personal newspaper on your fax machine each morning. And it was based on the topics and the people that you were interested. And we had machine learning software before it was that term became popular, where you would rate the articles as relevant or not. And based on that, your profile would change and continue to adapt itself. So individual was doing this personalized news, first on facts, then email, then internet, then ad supported as the technology evolved. This is 
the company started in the late 80s. You know, many people these days don't know what fax machines are, never use them. But that, that was the state of the art for delivering rapid information then. Uh, and it, it was much faster and more efficient than reading through trade journals and magazines like PC World or Computer World, PC magazines that, that would get published weekly or monthly and people would get stacks of magazines and have to flip through them to find what what information is relevant to them. So we were tapping directly into electronic databases and wire services to deliver all of that. Anyway, so that was the idea of individualized news. But the other side of the word individual was a culture that supports each individual and their growth and, and potential. And we instituted, you know, a 360 feedback process well before it was popular, all with the intention to uh, support the, the growth of, of our employees. So uh, it was a company that was near and dear to my heart. As you can imagine, it was kind of my guiding North Star and aspiration since my late teen years in, in Israel and in the military. So I was very very passionate about it. And I was working 70, 80 hours a week and was kind of getting burnt out somewhat. And and so it was a, a real roller coaster ride. And, and with the internet, you know, obviously our fax business was threatened. We it became clear that all that information would be available for free on the internet uh, with ad support. And now we had a gold mine because we had people's interest profiles, what every advertiser wants to, to know. But to transition from a subscription-based fax service to an ad-supported internet service wasn't easy because we had to cannibalize our own children, so to speak, and our own revenue in order to build a bigger revenue stream that with a much larger audience. Um, so that was very stressful. We managed to do that, and ultimately the company went public. And, you know, I was worth tens of millions of dollars. And, and um, you know, I sort of attained my dream. But somehow, some part of me, despite the fact that I was wealthy and healthy, at least physically, I lost its meaning. And uh, my mother had passed away during that time, and I didn't really have the time to grieve. And uh, through all of it, I somehow experienced some kind of loss of meaning and, and what in the spiritual traditions called the dark night of the soul, which was a form of cl clinical depression, despite all the success. And, but in the midst of that, something happened and shifted. It's hard to explain. I was... Uh, relax, receiving massage, and so on. All of a sudden, I had sort of what's called an awakening experience where I realized that everything is connected and the way we experience ourselves as separate individuals, again, a skin-encapsulated egos, as they call it, what was false. That actually, if you study physics now, you understand that everything is connected. The force of gravity uh, connects everything. Like right now, my body, your body is connected to the earth through gravity and the earth is connected to the sun through gravity. You know, every, the protons and the electrons and everything's connected through magnetic electric field. So, um, you know, we're literally at the physical level all interconnected. But I experienced it more spiritually and, and through consciousness. 
Yeah. Um, but that that kind of blew my circuits, that understanding, uh, so to speak, blew my circuits and threw me into, from the depression and the dark night of the soul into more of a manic episode. And I was having, my mind was racing. I was having all these visions and downloads of where the internet was going. And uh, I was... Uh, intent on making individual be the leader in, in, in getting there. And basically what companies like uh, Facebook and Google were doing years later, this, this is, I'm talking about 1996, just the beginning of the internet was all coming to me and I wanted individual to do it all. And I wanted it to do it all yesterday, so to speak. I had no patience. I wanted everything to be done rapidly. My mind was racing. And, you know, I, I lost contact with, with my team and my board. They just couldn't keep up. And I was so preoccupied and consumed by my vision that I didn't pay very close attention to uh, the fabric of the organization, making sure that it can execute on that. So yeah, it was very tur turbulent time. And ultimately, my board put me on a quote-unquote uh, voluntary leave of absence. It was nothing but voluntary, but they felt that I needed to calm down and take a break. And, you know, being in the manic spiritual emergency that I was in, I was accepting none of that. So I fought them and I resigned and, you know, they, they said they fired me. It was a big fiasco. Our, our stock price collapsed, several board members resigned and so on. So, um, so that was that spiritual awakening and, and, you know, spiritual emergency that changed the direction of my life. And I was like, then for years, I was trying to understand what is it that happened there and how did it, was it just craziness or was there something real about my experience? Why was I going through this emotional roller coaster? How did my identity get so lined up with the company? Who was I outside the company once I wasn't there and I was pushed out? So that ultimately led me to this uh, going back to get a PhD and become a clinical psychologist and um, trying to understand what this spiritual uh, insights I was having and, and this sense of interconnectedness and oneness that has been talked about for thousands of years across all the world's traditions. And so it was my interest in leadership and spirituality and psychology that, that got me to pursue this uh, doctorate. And um, I'll pause there if you want to ask a clarifying question. Yeah. Otherwise, I can keep uh, rolling about how I got the spiritual intelligence and its parallels to emotional intelligence. But maybe I should yeah, be take a breath there. <laughs> well, I think that makes a perfect segue into the actual book itself. Uh, you open the book early on by saying, I'm not ready to yet explore the root causes of my work compulsion and how I've come to tie my self-worth to my net worth. All I want is a quick fix. And Prozac provides it. Lo and behold, my mood improves. It's like a Band-Aid over a bullet hole, but it helps. And I began writing the next intoxicating wave of the Internet's promise. My fears miraculously disappear, and I move decisively, pushing my company into the future. The blessed irony is the stress my ego generated actually catalyzed my dark night of the soul, as well as my transcendent yet manic experiences, giving me a view of the reality beyond my ego. 
Its needs can never be met because it's based on a fundamental distortion, what Einstein called an optical illusion of consciousness, that we are discrete entities separate from the rest of existence. So, you know, I think that one of the things that this brings up for me is something that often comes up when we talk to people who have amassed significant amounts of wealth and somehow end up in these situations. Because I think that there is a tendency in our culture to basically put wealth as sort of the beacon of, of achievement uh, and, uh, you know, fulfillment in our lives. So the thing is, it's almost like, yeah, okay, great. In my mind, I'm thinking somebody who doesn't, has not reached that level of wealth might say, lovely, this all sounds good. Sounds like another rich, enlightened person. Um, why is that? Like, why do we think that when we have not had that experience that you have had? Why do we uh, think that the the answer is it was, was wealth? Just to be clear, though, when I was uh, pushed out of the company, our stock price collapsed. They brought in another CEO to to recover. They, you know, uh, it didn't quite work. The stock price continued to drift down. So. A lot of my wealth actually evaporated and um, <clears throat> over time. Now, I, I luckily, I had another company and I made some more money there and I invested in other startups. So I, I ended up doing well after all. But, but the point is that my spiritual emergency and all of that uh, and then those insights, you know, came at the height of my wealth and then but they continued when when I was no longer at that level of wealth I, I wasn't starving by any means but um, but uh, that's a that's not really directly answering your question uh, well I mean you know in our culture money is is just uh, uh, you know a source of power and you know biologically uh, we're programmed you know, to, to need resources, to need food. We, we feel insecure. Uh, and for a lot of people, money is just a source of security that ensures that I'll never be out of food. I'll, uh, I can have a, a nice home in a safe neighborhood, etc. And, um, and then, you know, there's the whole so social status hierarchy that comes with it that, uh, can give us access to mates, you know, uh, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, if, if you have money, if you're attractive. Uh, so the, at the instinctual level, I think money ties into our survival instinct and, and our sense of power and can give us a sense of safety. Now, obviously, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a false sense of safety because we're still mortal and, and beyond a certain level. Money doesn't really buy us happiness or or security uh, existentially. So, uh, I mean, I think all the research points that money can improve people's quality of life up to a certain level. And I forget what it is. And when they originally did the study, I think it was like seventy five thousand a year. Probably these days, with inflation and several decades later, it might be higher. But beyond that, there's no, no research. There's no backing to the fact that it increases quality of life and happiness. 
it just can bring in more worries about what to do with it, not losing it. And it could become an addiction thinking that, you know, I'll get more and more and more. And, but, you know, when our lives are empty of meaning and deeper meaning, then money becomes something that we can chase and it can give us a sense of purpose. But, you know, it's, it's like eating more, more popcorn. It tastes good, but ultimately it doesn't satisfy us. Yeah. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, let's get into these seven dimensions of spiritually intelligent leadership, starting with the one that you just brought up, which was meaning. 
Um, meaning is always one of those things I think that is something we kind of dance around. It always feels very nebulous. You know, like if you talk to somebody like Simon Sinek, I remember when he told me what my why was. He was like, you're obsessed with people who are good at unusual things. And I was like, that's great. What am I supposed to do with that? You know, 13 years later, I look back and say, say my entire career is a reflection of that. Every guest I've ever interviewed is a reflection of that. I realize that now, but at the time it was this vague sort of nebulous statement. But you say the ability to mobilize a sense of meaning is not only central to well-being, quality of life, and long-term fulfillment, it's a cornerstone of a spiritual intelligence. And then you go on to talk about narratives and you say the narratives we tell each other and ourselves have enormous power. They enable us to form communities, make sense of the world, and transmit meaning to ourselves and those we lead. So let's talk about, one, how we discover meaning and how we articulate that meaning through narrative. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good question. And I wish there was a simple formula, but I think, you know, individually, how we discover meaning is, is, uh, you know, connecting with our unique, authentic essence. And, and all of us are gifted by life, by, by certain gifts. Uh, these days, people like to call them superpowers, but each of us have a unique set of talents, whether it's, you know, in music or in drawing or in math or in computer programming or whatever it might be. So we have some talents and capacities that life has gifted us. And when we can take those gifts and apply them in the service of, of life and the service of others, uh, we actualize our potential and we use that to make a contribution, to make an impact. And that's when we feel, you know, that we're sort of, I'll use a cliche word, living our destiny. We're living what we're meant to do. Now, sometimes that's not readily available, uh, visible to us up front. But as you pointed out, when you look in hindsight, you could see the trajectory and, and some part of you was drawn to to do these interviews, these people, and you you didn't even know what was guiding you. It's like the future was calling you uh, in order to be born through you. And um, that, uh, I'm paraphrasing uh, Martin Buber said the, the, the future is, is waiting to be born or something through you. So there's some, some part of us that, that calls us forth to actualize our potential or actualize our gifts, our superpowers, because that's very satisfying. If I'm, if I am gifted with playing musical instrument, obviously using that is going to give me a sense of mastery and joy. And then if I see other people enjoying and buying my music and record, then I feel connected to them and I feel like I'm contributing to life and that's going to be very fulfilling and rewarding. Um, I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the other things that you say in this section on meaning is that when we see our failures and shortcomings as mistakes, we can find a way out of wallowing in our guilt and suffering and see them as opportunities to learn better ways to live in alignment with our values. And the first thought that comes to mind is easier said than done. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you why, because one of my mentors told me this once, he said, you know, when you're going through a difficult time, it's the worst thing in the world because it's happening to you. Um, And I feel like so often 
it's only, you know, in retrospect that we're able to see the opportunities that came from all of that. But while it's happening, it's incredibly difficult. So talk to me about how we navigate this when, you know, shit hits the fan in the moment. Yeah, no, I think you raise a great point. And, and it's exactly that. In hindsight, it's easy to see. And when shit hits in the moment, it's hard to see and we suffer. Uh, but, you know, what can help us is just that very knowledge that that we have survived, you know, tragedies and catastrophes and a lot of pain and suffering, physical, emotional. And uh, when we look back, we see that um, it, it, it actually served a, a purpose for the good. So that helps us develop a certain level of trust in life and you know, it's not Pollyannish. We go through the suffering; it's going to be painful, but we have that basic trust that somehow it will be okay. We'll be okay, and will lead us something somewhere. One of my favorite things to do, you know, on Thanksgiving, where everybody asks, "Okay, what are you grateful for?" And that's fine. We I I invite people to go through a round like that, but then. Tell tell us a, a story of something that was horrible um, that happened to you that, in hindsight, you're grateful for. And people talk about being fired from a job or, you know, uh, whatever it may be. A health challenge that, that happens that gets them to, you know, rethink their life's priorities, like a heart attack or something. And then they realize, you know, I've been not paying attention to my heart. And that heart attack is what caused me to pay attention to my heart. And I realized I was working in a job that was meaningless to me. And uh, thankfully, I, I didn't die from that heart attack. And it was a wake-up call and it changed the direction of my life. And same with a job loss or whatever. When we're fired, you know, when we're having a heart attack, we're not going to be thinking there, oh, this is great. I love it. You know, it's uh, it's full of meaning and beauty. No, it's going to be painful. We're going to mourn the job loss. We're going to be scared for our lives. But, you know, that faith, that trust can can support us in going through it. And then we'll discover the, the hidden blessings down the line. Well, let's talk about the next one, which is grace. You say that grace is expressed in terms of spiritually intelligent leadership is the ability to lead with dignity, beauty, and joy in such a way as to awaken hope, trust, celebration, and gratitude in ourselves and others. The ability rests on four essential competencies, trust, beauty, joy, and gratitude. So talk to me about the context of an individual as well as in an organization. How does somebody cultivate this capacity? Well, we just talked about the first one, which is trust, you know, and trusting in ourselves, trusting in life, trusting in the future. I mean, it's hard to, you know, hard to lead a group of people if you don't have trust or hope that what we're doing is going to work out in some way and have a positive impact. So you have to believe, like we said, that you're going through a tough time. Uh, personally, that you'll get to the other shore, to the other side, and you'll be okay. And as an organization, you have to, as a leader, you have to instill the sense of hope and optimism about the future, that what we're doing is not futile. 
uh, you know, beauty and joy, I mean, nourish us. And, and uh, you know, with beauty and joy comes more creativity. I think all the research supports that. I think you're talking about creativity here. And so as we, as people have fun at work, they, they joke around, they bring in a sense of humor, they relax together. There's more and more creativity and we can find the beauty in our work. It's not drudgery. I mean, normally we think that there's beauty. We watch a beautiful sunset or we go on a hike in the woods or top of a mountain. There's a great view or we look at a piece of art in the museum or at home or a piece of music. And beauty is readily, readily available. And that's why humanity and all this love music, love art, love nature, because it awakens a sense of beauty. But it need not be limited to those places. Can there be beauty in a piece of software? Can there be beauty in a, in, in a PowerPoint presentation or in a a memo or document or a way a team collaborates around a project in a meeting. And if you just, you could see a basketball team or play together and you see the beauty and the grace in which they're moving the ball between themselves and each other. And you're just like, wow, by the beauty, by the grace of, of their movement and the coordination. So there's no reason that we can't find beauty in, in, in working with our teammates. And so if we bring more joy, more, more beauty, more trust and optimism, then, you know, we're more creative, we're more effective, our life is more fulfilled, we have more energy, we're more inspired. And the research shows that people that are inspired, motivated like that are twice as productive as others. And, you know, the last piece you mentioned is gratitude. And, you know, if we share and express gratitude both to, towards ourselves, like, okay, uh, these great things happened to me today, it lifts our mood. If we share gratitude and appreciation with teammates and in our work, then our relationships, our bonds deepen and the trust is deepened between team members. And, you know, we're building our bank account for when there's tension and disagreement. And so, so it is at work, so it is in our home life, in our relationships, be romantic or otherwise. You know, the, all the research, like John Gottman is the preeminent researcher in the field of marriage and relationships. You know, good relationships thrive when the ratio of positive feedback and appreciation to criticism and negative is, is at least five to one. So gratitude is, is super important for healthy relationships everywhere at, at home and at work. Yeah. So I'm just kind of touching on all these qualities in this domain. Well, let's talk about the next one, which is the interdirected dimension of spiritually intelligent leadership, which, as you say, is the ability to align with your inner compass, which rests on four essential qualities, centeredness, integrity, confidence, and freedom. And this one in particular strikes me because we live in a world where you have access to instant validation on demand. Um, there's a sort of paradox of the fact that we have all this technology at our fingertips that allows us to express, you know, our creative impulses in a way that we never could before, yet it's all done in a strange way of in pursuit of external validation. Like, of course, I want more people to listen to the conversation you and I are having. 
So talk to me about how we resolve that tension between our need for validation and cultivating this inner dimension that you're talking about. Inner directedness. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, um, but going back to sort of understanding it psychologically as infants, you know, all the goodies are provided to us externally. You know, I mean, we need milk and food and nourishment externally. We don't really have a sense of self or any sense of self-esteem. So mom and dad and our primary caregivers or whatever it is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of gender what have you. Uh, but the, the mothering and fathering persons in our lives are, you know, providing us the, the validation for, for who we are and what we are. But as we grow, you know, we, we need to differentiate and individuate, to use psychological terms. And um, as leaders, we have to be interdirected. Now, that's not to say that we don't listen to others or take input or, or what have you. But being a leader, we're not, we're not being a politician that just asking for uh, approval. I mean, that's going to weaken us. If I look for my ultimate source of validation uh, externally, then, then you know, I'm, I'm dependent on others. It's not empowering. It's not energizing. So we have to find, you know, our truths, our values, and, and stand our ground while also being open to, to others. And it's that yin-yang quality of confidence with humility. People think, okay, if you're, confident, then you're not open to others, you're not listening. I think that's very far from the truth, because if you're secure in yourself, then your inherent value, then, you know, your your self-esteem, your sense of value is not dependent on others' validation. You, you might like it, like I'd like people to buy my book. I'd like people to listen to this interview. Um, because, you know, this is what I've set up as my purpose to help awaken greater spiritual intelligence in the world and in myself. And I'm using that through and and if this book doesn't sell or people aren't interested or don't resonate, then then I have to, you know, it doesn't mean that my life is meaningless. It just means that maybe I need to uh do something different and not not write a book about leadership and spiritual intelligence, but some other book, which I'll write someday about spiritually intelligent relationships and in romantic sense. So maybe that will be more interesting to people. I, I don't know, but I can learn from that if uh, not many people find this relevant. Unfortunately, so far I'm getting great feedback and people find it very helpful and 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 so on. But I'm just saying I I care about getting the feedback externally, but I'm not making my my deepest sense of worth dependent on that because that's just gonna be disempowering. Well so in the interest of time, um we'll I, I want to yeah. go through the uh other two that are really interesting to me. I mean, we've spoken quite a bit about community on the podcast, but I think the presence dimension of full attention, focus, clarity of intention and embodied power to your engagements and interactions is really interesting because I think this is about more than, you know, being productive. Um, 
there's so much more to what you're talking about here than, oh, hey, being able to be focused on what you do increases your productivity, gets you in a flow. But you're talking about a lot more depth here in terms of how it impacts everything from our interactions with other people to our, you know, interactions with the community and, and how we uh, explore this. But one of the things you say here, which I think really kind of segues from what we were talking about earlier, is that goals offer a necessary yardstick for measuring performance and progress. But it's also important to forget, not to forget that they lead us towards a success versus failure mindset. We either meet our goal or not. Furthermore, goals focus our attention on a future outcome, not on how to observe and apply our efforts in the moment. So how do you balance those two things together with having, you know, this sort of future goal while also being present enough to do the work that will get you to that future without getting completely attached or caught up in, in the outcome? Yeah, no, it's great. So you need the goal. It's like, okay, um, you know, you have a goal, you're, you're on a sailboat and going through the sea and you want to get to the, some island or some shore and you set your sight on that, right? But to get there, you need, so you, you chart a path, right? You chart a path, the, the wind, depending on the wind, you're going to go zigzag, however you're going to tack or whatever. And so you, you have, you take that bigger goal and you set, smaller goals and then you you need your rudder you need your rudder and your rudder is your intention so uh your intention is is what keeps you pointed in the right direction when the wind and the the currents and the storms at sea throw you off so you know you're you you want to build a company you want to get to this year's plan, this is going to be the revenue goal or whatever it is. This is the product shipment goal. So you have that goal. He said, by the end of the year, we want to be here, there, and there, and whatever. But, you know, to get there, you translate that. You need a team, you need people, you need everybody to be productive. So now you're having a one-on-one -on -one with a teammate or an employee or a supervisor, whatever it is. You want to be, you want to be clear on your intention in that meeting. It could be with a customer. You, you're trying to build rapport, whatever. So you can't be thinking, Oh, we want to, I want to meet my quota for the year of, of a million dollars of revenue. No, I've got this customer prospect in front of me. And my intention is to build rapport with him to understand his needs so that I can come back with a proposal to un explain how my product fits his need. So, you know, I, I need my long-term goal for the year of how much sales I want to make, but moment to moment, I need to be clear on my intention and, and return to that. And this is a challenge because we're bombarded with stimuli, with, with emails and text messages and, and all this stuff. And, um, so being present with who and what is in front of us is the greatest thing we can give to ourselves and that person. There's nothing worse. Like if right now I'm here with you, right? And if I was thinking about my goal is to sell so many tens of thousands of copies of my book, that's not going to help my interaction with you. I need to be present with you, listen to your questions, think my intention is to connect with you, answer you clearly. And so my goal is, is, is set aside. It's really my intention in the moment that, that matters to my presence. 
Well, let's finish this up by talking about the last two dimensions, with our truth, which are truth and wisdom. And one uh-huh. of the things you say about truth is that our capacity to respond skillfully and adequately to any situation is only possible to the extent that we're open to the truth of what's happening, both within ourselves and externally. Full engagement with truth in and of itself requires openness. And what I think is far more challenging for a lot of people is being open to happening, you know, what's happening externally, because, you know, cognitive biases get in the way. Like, for example, somebody might have heard something you said and shut this off simply because it, it you know, of confirmation bias. They might have disliked something because of you. And this is something I've come to recognize in my own self. And sometimes the truth of what's happening externally is unpleasant. It's not necessarily what you want to hear. And, and if there's one thing that I learned from my mentor who was incredibly tough on me at times was that he would tell me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. And even though what I wanted to hear felt good, what I needed to hear was good in the long run. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, you know, it, in some sense, it, it, it's obvious, you know, if I, if I open my eyes and I look around and I see the, the wall in my, my room painted, you know, let's say pink and I and and I don't like it being painted pink and I say no 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 it's not pink but I really like it yellow I have to acknowledge that it's currently pink before I can do anything to to make it yellow the way I like it but if I'm like in denial of what it is then I can't respond to the situation now this sounds silly and simple-minded but as you point out, our egos like to be right. And um, so we have a confirmation bias. And if, if some of the, tr- the truth or reality or facts we're presented, you know, don't, don't sit well with us, then we, we turn away. We, we don't want to listen because it, it shakes our sense of self and the security that we feel like I know the truth and I'm right. And uh, this is a constant challenge to our egos, our need to be right. And that's kind of what underlies this confirmation bias that we have. Now, good science, if you study the philosophy of science, science progresses by refuting pre-existing theories. You know, I mean, uh, there was Newtonian physics and everything was working, but then there were all these things, the double split experiment and all these anomalies that didn't feel that truth. And some scientists kind of was like, well, there's there's a problem. That can't be a a true experiment. But when you, they took that into account, then they come up with a more better theory that explains more. So we progress by refuting old theories. And, but we don't like to do it because we like to be right and it shakes out, shakes us up to not know. Oh, well, Newtonian physics doesn't work. So, you know, we're not as smart and knowledgeable as we'd like to think we are. Yeah. Well, let's finish this up by talking about intuition. Uh, intuition is one of those things that also I think is, you know, used a lot as a buzzword completely misunderstood by most people, myself included. Um, I remember I had uh, Rebecca Heiss here who wrote a book called Instinct. And I will ask you a question very similar to the one I asked, you know, her, you know, there's always this sort of advice to, you know, follow your intuition, follow your instinct. 
And my question was, what if your instinct sucks, but your ego is too big to recognize that it does? So same question as it relates to intuition, because I think that intuition seems always to be one of those very nebulous things that is hard to define. Yeah, well, I mean, I think intuition is important, but, you know, it's also doing the right analysis and triangulating. So, you know, uh, we have all kinds of impulses and how to discern uh, where they're coming from. And if if it's just an impulse, is it just an ego, is it just convenient? Um, you know, and that, that requires sort of, discernment and judgment and, and a sense of integrity. And, uh, you know, it's it's a big topic. One of the things that I, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in our bodies and intelligence. And if we learn how to tune in and uh, then we can find out whether, you know, quote unquote, that instinct, that intuition is really coming from a deep place within us, with our, from a higher self. Or is it coming from something more egoic? And we tend to feel uh, more in alignment, more spacious, more open when it's coming from something deeper and, and truer that is with integrity, with, with our essence, with our, uh, you know, our deeper truth. So, um, yeah, it's not like, okay, my instinct says this. It's like, you know, you have to have to do the analysis beforehand, and 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 that is, you know, so you're you're triangulating and and not just blindly following your instinct. Yeah, absolutely. I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, no, I the the triangulation thing reminded me of of uh, Ray Dalio's book Principles, where he talks about that a whole idea where, you know, he's trying to make a decision. He gets insight. It has something to do with him having to have a surgery. And he goes to three different doctors. And by the third doctor, he finds a way to like, you know, he gets three different opinions. It turns out the third doctor was spot on and he avoids like years of hell because he was willing Uh to triangulate. Like that always stayed with me. Yeah, yeah, that's a good story. It's a good story. So yeah, the decision's important, and, and you'd get three opinions and three doctors and synthesize them. And, and then, uh, but, you know, as I talk in the book, there are ways to connect to our higher self, our future self, track our body, see if where we're leaning is, it generates a sense of alignment and openness. Um, or a contraction which says, oh, we're not entirely at peace with this decision. Some part of us is is not aligned, not resonant with that. So, yeah, so it's our mind, our the intelligence of our body, the intelligence of our higher self that we can bring together, particularly if it's an important decision. Now, if you're choosing between vanilla or chocolate, you know, it's, you can just do whatever you feel like. Yeah. Well, um, this has been really insightful and uh, thought-provoking as I expected it would be. So I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? That makes someone unmistakably creative? Yeah. Wow. Well, I think someone that that has the courage and the inspiration to be their unique, authentic selves, to 
live their purpose and their uh, calling, their destiny, and, you know, where they are wholeheartedly devoted to their to their craft, to that calling, you know, and they, um, when we have that passionate, wholehearted devotion, and we live in integrity with that calling, then, then, you know, we're, we're unstoppable, because, um, you know, it's not about our ego anymore, we reduce ourselves to zero, in a sense, and um, well, our self-esteem, our self-worth is not on the line so all our energy all our focus is on that aspiration that calling and that expression of our unique authentic selves everybody else is taken so you know might as well be our unique authentic self and live in alignment and devotion to that yeah amazing well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your book, your work, and everything else that you're up to? Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I have a website, as you might expect. It's, it's simply yossiamram.net. As my name is spelled Y-O-S-I-A-M. R A M again, two M's like Mary dot net. And that's kind of the umbrella website. It, there's a page for the book. There's a page for free events called Awakening Spiritual Intelligence that happens once a month. Uh, there's a bunch of resources. There's, um, free, a link to a website that offers free assessments for, uh, spiritual intelligence where people can get the profile of their strengths and opportunities to grow with tips along the dimensions, some the dimensions we mentioned. So anyway, that's kind of the, the gateway place to connect with me and yossiamram.net. And it's been delightful. Thank you for your questions and, and um, curiosity. And it sounds like you've tapped into some amazing people that, and resources. I'm honored to be here and be in this conversation with you. Amazing. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. And for everybody listening, we wrap the show with that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.